Welcome to Design Ops Island Discs, the weekly podcast from Zero Height that navigates the calm waters of Design Ops with your host, me, Luke Murphy. I'm a design advocate at Zero Height, and I'm talking to the best folks in Design Ops to navigate us through what it takes to float Design Ops within your design org. For episode three, I'm joined by Meredith Black, Design Ops consultant, co-founder of Design Ops Assembly, and co-author of the Design Ops Handbook. Meredith has built and led design ops teams at Pinterest, Facebook, and IDEO, amongst others, and regularly speaks at design conferences around the world. Uh, Today, we're going to talk to Meredith about her journey to design ops, where to start when building out your design ops function, and what makes a good design ops hire. And I'm pretty sure that I just got the record for the most uses of design ops in 30 seconds. Anyway, let's get to it. To be honest, I'd really like to know how you got into design ops, Meredith, because I was looking back through your CV and uh, and it looks like you didn't come from the traditional sort of product design or UX design background that a lot of design ops folks come from. You came from the more the production side, did you? Yeah, I, I actually I came from more of the traditional agency side of the house. Yeah. Um, I started my career um sort of as a, honestly as a backup career um, while I was interviewing um with government agencies, uh, uh, the FBI in particular. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I, I think people might be here sick of me hearing that story, but, um, I was interviewing for, I was a criminology major in college. I really wanted to work for the FBI or work for a government agency. Um, crime was always on my mind and my, family actually had a traditional advertising background. And so my mom, you know, grew up working at Leo Burnett in Chicago. And so I'd always kind of had the advertising gene in my blood, you know, Sunday night dinners were talking about ad impressions, which was awfully (laughs) boring at the time. Um, you know, and, and what, you know, creative was successful and what failed and, you know, CPMs, all this stuff. So, um, so for me going into the creative industry was more of a like, huh, well, I've already kind of been raised in this environment. I, 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 you know, I know enough to be able to work with creative people since, you know, I've, I've grown up with them. So I'll start there. So I started, Mm. um, working at, um, some small agencies and then, somehow found my way into a job interview at IDEO, which was amazing. Um, don't know how it's that happened. not a bad place to find yourself. No, yeah. not at all. And so they actually, at the time, IDEO had um, this really large account that they um, needed help running. And um, what's funny is that the IDEO had always kind of done things project by project with these really large mm. companies, but they'd never had like a two-year commitment. And so they needed a couple people to come in and actually help with that two-year commitment and run, yeah. you know, an actual program. And so uh, they knew that I had agency experience. They knew that I could handle, you know, multiple different teams doing different types of creatives and different projects and all of that stuff. So I was fortunate enough to... Uh, come in and get to be one of the first account coordinators, I think was the name at the time at IDEO, which was really exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I kind of got my feet wet there and what a great place to get your feet wet. It's like getting your NBA, yeah. you know, I mean, you learn so much in such a quick <laughs> period of time. So started there, um, 2009 happened, layoffs happened everywhere mm-hmm. across 
the globe. Um, definitely was a result of that. So I went into freelancing, worked at some pretty fun and creative agencies and, uh, then decided, huh, I really like the agency world, but I really liked where I was going with design and learning about Mm. user experience and product design and, um, you know, just the whole design process was really fascinating to me. So I, um, wanted to kind of get back into that. And I was like, okay, I really want to find a design firm that I can go back into. And so once the economy started getting a little bit better, um, I was introduced to a company called hot studio, which, um, was a great opportunity. I got to work with Maria Jadis, who was the founder, um, for a few years. And then Maria decided to sell hot studio to (laughs) Facebook. So there goes the entry point into tech. Um, so while I had the opportunity to work with all of these tech companies outside of being in tech, now I was kind of being thrown into the world of tech and working with product designers and engineers and product managers and trying to get product out, um, (laughs) literally to billions of people, right? Working at Facebook. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And then the opportunity came at Pinterest to, started design ops organization and I jumped on it. I was a huge fan of Pinterest. You know, I, I was the person on Pinterest who would, could get to the bottom of Pinterest and I'd have to wait another day so I could scroll. I um, mean, yeah, I, I, oh, Pinterest was one of my, I, I think oh. I, you know, when you just imagine those places where you, they've got your picture on the wall as like mm-hmm. the top users, I'm sure around 2010, 2011, that was, yeah. that was me. Yeah, same. You know, I think we were we were called super users back then. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah. when they had like the little discount, like um, there was like a little bar, like a discount bar on the image that would be like, this is on sale at so-and-so. And I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Or, you know, or I'd get so frustrated when I'd find a photo and then I couldn't figure out where the photo was from, right? Like I was like, I want these architectural renderings. I just yeah, can't get yeah. to them. Um, so yeah, so I was definitely an early adopter to Pinterest and I just, I was obsessed. And so when the opportunity came out, it came, you know, came up, I I had to take it. It was very much a no brainer, even though it was a step back, I think in my career in terms of, um, you know, it was very risky, right? Facebook had already gone public, you know, they'd already IPO'd, they were already well-established. It was very safe. Um, and then to go to Pinterest where it was brand new, there were less than 400 employees, you know, the, the valuations weren't, weren't that big yet. There hadn't been many rounds of funding. Um, you know, and so you didn't know just because I thought it was cool didn't mean that everybody was going <laughs> to think it was cool and going to be, you know, successful. So it was a big jump. Although it, it feels like that bet kind of did pay off there. That's, it, um... Yeah, just a smidge. Um, yeah. yeah, just it, it paid off just a smidge. <laughs> it's, I mean, and but it is also, I mean, just from a, uh, it's funny because just going through that trajectory of, of your entire career, you can see this is the birth of design ops right from the beginning and you very gradually sort of built Mm -hmm. it up to and uh, you know within the industry pinterest's design ops team is seen as one of the you know founding founding teams of what design ops is and so 
it's just i mean that yeah that must be amazing i'm very very um i feel like i'm I'm amongst royalty here oh. <laughs> well thank you so much i definitely didn't do it all alone um, there are definitely a lot of people who helped make that happen and i think that's i think that's what makes this community so wonderful honestly mm. is that i think a lot of people like me have been in this role for a very long time. It was just never identified as design yeah. operations. It's identified as, you know, account coordinator, manager, project manager, producer, like, I mean, the, the names go on and on and on. Right. And so I think yeah, now yeah. that we've got, you know, a line in the sand and we can define it and really build, build this role out is pretty exciting. I think, you know, yeah. and to be able to have an impact within design teams all over the world, I think is, is something that's really exciting. And I think something that everybody who's in this role is, should be pretty proud of. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's something that I feel like it's pretty exciting to get on the ground floor yeah. of, of something like this, even though, you know, it has been, well, it has been around in one form or another for, a good, you know, 10, 20 years now, at least. Uh, I mean, design operations has been going on for, forever. It's just now, finally, we've got a way of unifying it and mm -hmm. also, you know, actually validating it, sharing best practices. Absolutely. And what I think is really cool about it is that, like, we are also giving designers back control of being able to design again. Yes. And I think... That is very important to point out is that while designers, of course, can multitask and of course can take notes and write project plans and figure out goals and year end trajectories and all of that stuff, I think for me, a lot of that was taking away from the true craft of being able to build and design for users. Yep. And yeah. so I think, I think what design ops brings to the table is letting, and I've said this over and over again, but letting designers design and letting somebody else do all the other work, you know, and there are people yeah. out there like us who love doing all of that work. And there yeah. are designers out there who love doing that work too. And what we're seeing <laughs> is that some of those designers are actually switching into design ops roles, which is a new trend, which I couldn't have said five years ago was happening. And that's something that's definitely happening now. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have, it isn't one of those things that you actually think uh, would suit the perceived mindset of designers, Absolutely. right? It's, yeah. And, but I mean, that's exactly my trajectory as well. I came from a product design background yeah. and I just loved making it easier for, once mm -hmm. I got into a management position, loved making it easier for my teams to actually operate better. Yeah. <laughs> And and it was oh, the the amount of joy that you can get out of just seeing an effective team running is oh, oh can't, yeah, can't match it. It's priceless. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely priceless. I also think it's just a different type of design too. Yeah, right? 100%. like it's it's operational or organizational design versus product design or user experience, etc. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 So uh, one of the things that um, you have talked about a lot over the last three or four years is how to build an effective design ops team, having built out, you know, some amazing design ops teams. And now I, I believe you're in a sort of consultancy role, right, yes. where you help people build out mm -hmm. design ops teams. So where do you start when you want to build out design ops or when you identify that there is a need for this? How do you how do you start? Where do you focus on first? Yeah. So I think there's a couple ways you can go about thinking about this. One is that if you are in an organization where you have a design leader that um, doesn't know about design ops yet or is slowly coming around to it or just heard about it, I think, you know, 
the good news is, is there's enough information out there now. There's enough books, podcasts, uh, like this one, um, (laughs) and articles out there and enough people to talk to, to be able to help move the needle. You can say, Hey, look at, you know, X, Y, and Z. They're doing it really great. They've got all of these examples of how they're doing it or, you know, like Pinterest, Spotify. I mean, there's all of these examples of where you can, where you can point to. I think that if you are in your organization and you are trying to advocate for this role, the way to do it is to do the role. And that's easier said than done, especially if you're a designer, because then you get stuck doing two jobs. But I think if you start to show the value of, Hey, if I'm also the person that's helping with the organizational structure, if I'm helping build the team, if I'm helping with hiring, if I'm helping with financing, if I'm helping with employee, you know, team development, like career development and all of that stuff, like that is, that is multiple people. That's multiple jobs for multiple people. Right. And so I think if you can just start to show kind of, if you can start getting, getting to the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and start showing the value and just really start with the basics of what's not being done right now and what could make our lives better as a design team. And that could be as easy Mm. as setting up, you know, a weekly status. And I, I mean, I'm talking basics here. I'm, and, and granted, a lot of these tasks that you first start out, start out with in design ops aren't glorious. They're not sexy. <laughs> they are, they just need to get done. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things about anybody coming into this role is it can be awfully humbling at first because you really do start from square one and then you build yourself up, you know, and then, mm. you know, you get to hire people and then you have a team and then you've got multiple people and you know, like et cetera, et cetera. But at the beginning, it's what, what do you need in your team to make it more successful? What, what are they lacking right now? Are they lacking meeting notes? Are they lacking next steps? Are they lacking structured critique time? Are they lacking, you know, feedback? Are they lacking how to present, you know, mm-hmm. their, their designs or their hypotheses moving forward? What, 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 what are the points in which you can start to help and contribute? And then I yep. would start to say, pick them off one by one. Don't try to do them all because you're only one person and you're only human and you have another job to do, which is designing, but try to start making kind of like a habit of doing things and making it a pattern and making it something that people rely on. Right. And so for me, an example was, is nobody asked me to do this, but when I first started at Pinterest, I would send out a project status at the, or a weekly status at the end of the end of the week on Fridays. And I would always send it out at the same time. So it'd be like Friday at three 30 because the company had Q and a at four o'clock. So I, that was kind of my last thing I had to do for the day. And it was really basic. It was, this is the project. Who's on the project. This is where we're at. This is next steps. And that was kind of it. Right. And so I just kind of kept sending this to the 10 plus (laughs) designers that I had. Right. And then that slowly started spreading to product managers. And then that slowly started spreading to the head of product and the head of Eng and, you know, the co-founders of the company. And so this became a tool where people just had easy, quick reference. They knew exactly what time it was coming every single week. And they just, they knew where every state of every project was on the design team, right? Granted, move, you know, fast forward several years later, it's very hard to send out an email. It turns into like an 80 page email once you have like, you know, (laughs) 70 people on the team. 
So you yeah. recreate different dashboards and stuff like that. But it became this thing where people would be like, hey, Mayor, when's your project status coming out? And it, people would <laughs> ask for it. And, yeah. you know, it was a pain in the butt to do every week, but it provided value for other people. And so yeah. if you can do that, if you can create little things like if you have, if people ever go in back in, in person to offices again, you know, writing out like <laughs> what the agenda is on the whiteboard, like it's, it's just very simple, basic stuff that moves the needle first. And then once you get everybody into a habit of this is what I can expect every meeting, this is what I can expect every week, then you can move on to bigger stuff, right? Then you can move on to more structure or more process and trying things out with different teams, right? Not trying, not just saying, Hey, this is my way. This is where, this is how we're going to do it. You know, go forth. Like that'll never, ever work. Nobody ever wants to be told what to do ever. And so, you know, is there a certain project where you can build, you know, something around it? Like if you want to start using a tool like Jira or I don't know, there's several out there that all these companies are using now, but try it with a small base first and then see if it has a domino effect. Because if it doesn't work, you've only tried it with a small group and you haven't wasted everybody's time. And if it does work, it can grow into something and it can be a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I think it's it's funny actually because I've had this in the past as well, where it, you feel I don't know. It's I, I felt like when I first went into a, an ops role, I assumed that everything I tried had to work because I needed mm-hmm. to prove the value of who I was, and and every team is different and every team will react differently to, to different things. And you, I mean, you should try and standardize to a degree um, to make sure that you know these things are replicable if they can be but at the same time it's like actually you just need to you need to see what works and you need to see what mm-hmm. works because these are people and yeah really it's the same i don't know i always look at it as it's the same as product design it's like a large part of product design quite often is reducing the cognitive load of the user as they're going through their tasks that is exactly what you're trying to do with your your teams that you're interfacing exactly. with um, exactly yeah i mean I, I i agree with you completely with what you just said about you know, not everything's going to work for everybody. And mm. I think that was one of the things that I was pretty adamant about, especially at Pinterest is I was never that type of person that was like, we're going to use this tool and this is the only tool <laughs> we're going to use. Right. I mean, like every year there was a new tool that was coming out, whether if it was mm-hmm. like, you know, Figma, Miro, Mural, Principle. <laughs> I mean, you, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Right. And so designers like to try new things as they should. And, you know, sometimes I would get stuck, you know, licensing all of these tools, but at the same time, if they could work faster in the tool that they were using, and that's what helped them get their job done, I'm not going to be the one that's going to stop them and be like, no, you have to use this tool because we got a bulk discount on it. Like, no, (laughs) like it's just, it's not going to work. And you're forcing people to work in an environment that they're not good at. Now, that being said, you're right. There should be some structure in place, but there's a lot of other opportunities for that to happen in other ways and other places. Don't, don't force it down people's throats. And I think if you do it right over time, people will really crave that process and crave the predictability, um, to the point where you don't have to pretend that you're not using the word process. Like we used to call it the P (laughs) word. Cause if I said process, like you could just see like, you have to run around the building three times and chuck a pinch of salt over your shoulder. Yeah. Okay. So 
as a designer, you've carved a bit of time out so you can focus on process. You've got people to and, and improving your process to make it to to make it faster, more efficient, giving more value, giving you more time to design. Get to the point where you actually prove out that you can hire, you should hire some design ops people and yeah. people who can focus on this. How do you find a good design ops person? Well, I think it really, I mean, great question. I think it really depends. There's a ton of, ton of variables. <laughs> it depends on your culture. It depends on mm. the size of your team. It depends on what industry you're in. You know, like if you're in the banking industry, you're probably going to want to hire somebody who like knows all about like financial rules and regulations, right? Like, yeah. or that would be a nice bonus. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're at, if you're at a really small company where you're just, you know, introducing this role for the first time, what is that, what does that person look like? And what are you expecting out of them in the future? Is this a, mm. we're just going to try this role and we're only going to hire one and that's going to kind of be it. Or is this, we're going to try this role. And if this becomes successful, I'm going to start advocating for headcount in future years to get more people on board. And you want to think about which way you're going so you can find the right person, right? You want somebody who's say, if you're going to start building on a team, you probably want somebody who's got some experience within design ops, you know, understands the lay of the land between the different product eng, you know, design trifecta, all of that stuff. Um, and also how are they with identifying what the team needs, right? Yeah. Like what you as a head of design or a lead designer might identify what the team needs are, might be wildly different to what a person who comes in and thinks, Hey, actually, this is, this would be a nice to have, but we need this first. And so I think it's kind of the due diligence of kind of doing the old research of figuring out what's working and what's not within your organization. What are the nice to haves? What are the must haves? And then going out and talking to a bunch of people, um, and figuring out who's going to be the right fit for your, for your team. I think culture fit for a design ops person is, it's huge, right? I mean, yeah. they're the ones leading the culture forward. They're the ones helping hiring and career development and everything moving forward after that. So that person has to understand your culture and has to understand what's going to work and what's not going to work and, and adapt to it and not just force change, right? Up until recently, I always just assumed it's got design in the role, like design in, in the title. So you need a background in design. And actually more and more i'm i'm seeing that just is not the case and it's you you yeah, i don't know I a think, design mindset maybe okay so i think that's right i think if you've got a design mindset like me personally i was fortunate enough to get the you know ideo education so to speak and then be <laughs> you know kind of yeah. immersed into these types of cultures and roles so even though i wasn't a trained designer i was literally in it 24 seven for so long that it's just become me, right. It's become second nature for me. I think if somebody is leading the role and starting out new in the role, I think it would be pretty beneficial to understand what design <laughs> is. Um, I think maybe people who are more junior in the role who, um, are just starting out in their careers, but are really curious and are really hungry and are kind of like sponges and mm. want to learn more about design and the design process, then there there's that opportunity to take a chance on those folks for sure. Right. Um, yeah. and I also think it depends on who, who you already have within your company. Right. I mean, I think one example of somebody 
that I hired onto my team at Pinterest, she was actually in a customer service role. She was the uh, person. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she was the person who would answer those dreadful emails of, I don't know what my password is, or I don't know if I <laughs> saved a pen. Where can I find my pen? Or I thought I created a board. Where did it go? Right. And so, mm. you know, somebody like that, A, has a heck of a lot of patience. B, they probably understand the product more so than any of the designers on the team because they've been doing yeah. it for a lot longer, right? Like they've, yeah, they, yeah. and they understand what the users need and what the users are frustrated with because they're seeing it day in and day out. So when we had this one woman, we were working on a small project of just something that was going to make her life a lot easier on like a dashboard to use with users or whatever. I looked at her and I was like, what? what are your, like, what are your aspirations? Like, what are your goals? What do you want to do with your life? You know? And she's like, actually, I really want to be a designer. And I was like, okay, well, what are you doing to get there? She's like, you know, I'm not quite sure. I'm a little stuck. I just took this job right out of college, you know, great tech job, awesome opportunity. And I said, well, what if we could change that up a little bit? And I said, what if you moved to my team and you became a design producer where you could understand how design works and you can understand how design is done at Pinterest, but you could also share the knowledge that you've learned from being on the other side of this and dealing with the users yeah. and also bring your amazing expertise of being, you know, like type a super on it, you know, <laughs> like all of that, you know, she just, she, she just had this perfect blend of, features and attributes that I could not have found outside of that company. Sometimes I almost think you need to look internally before you look externally mm. um, for some of these roles and not for all of them, of course, but there could be some real like hidden gems right in front of you and you give them the opportunity. And so she came onto our team as a producer. She was a producer for a few years and then we moved her into becoming a designer and now she's a product designer. Oh, that's perfect. See, it's, I mean, anecdotally, but I've had the exact same experience where I feel like often you really need to look through your support and, and customer success teams because quite yeah. often you've got some folks there who would just be perfect in products in, in either a product mm -hmm. management or a product design kind of role. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny though, because I think it is, It's uh, you, you touched on it there for a second as well in terms of particular personality types that work well. Mm -hmm. I do feel like, if I think you're 100% right, it all depends on your org. But when it comes down to it, design ops need to be good communicators and quite good communicators, high EQ, yep. um, very buttoned up. Uh, that doesn't have that doesn't necessarily mean like serious and you know like always got a straight face on. I mean, anybody who's worked at me knows that I am far from that. <laughs> but you know, like on it. Um, very like time responsive, I think mm. is, is pretty important, but also kind of like sees through everything and also is kind of a chameleon. I mean, yeah. this role, you, you have to adapt to change. And especially if you are in an organization that is growing, no matter what that organization is, whether it's a tech company or a bank or, 
you know, a clothing company or whatever it is, if you're in a hyper growth company, things are going to change very fast. It's not going to be, it's not the change you see in a year. It's the change you see every three months. And so you have to understand that your job along with everybody else's is going to be changing frequently and you need to be okay with that. And you need to be okay with roadmaps changing and with timelines changing and with projects that maybe have gone on for a year, just being canceled. Yep. Right. Because something became a higher priority and that's what the company wanted to focus on. And so I think people who are used to predictability or who need to check all the boxes and know that they're done at the end of the day and know what they're coming into the next morning aren't necessarily the right fit <laughs> for certain companies. Yeah. 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 That doesn't mean that none of them are out there that they are a right fit for, but keeping that in mind that because this role is so new and because there's so much going on that you need to be okay with rolling with the punches and being okay with change. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And actually on that, so you've, uh, over the last, so you left Pinterest a few two years, years ago, ago, two years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And so you've been uh, obviously consulting and running design ops assembly, which is an amazing community. Thank, um, you. thank you for that, by the way. I suppose you've been in touch with a lot of folks over the last two years talking about design ops. I have. How do you see it go? Where are we going in the future? What is What change is happening? What is on the horizon? Put on your future goggles. Okay. So a couple of things that I'm seeing right off the bat is that we wouldn't have seen five years ago is that mm. people want to be in this role. People five years ago stumbled upon it, or it was a, we need you, throw you in here. Like there's a few type A people in the world. Like, let's just go put them on these big teams, right? (laughs) Now that this has become established and now that there are actual like kind of like anchors out there for what this can be, there's, there's a lot of momentum and there's a lot of interest, but with that interest comes, um, kind of a set of higher standards, I think. And so I've, I've been hearing a lot of people who want to get into design ops really frustrated because they're having a hard time breaking in. <laughs> and it's not yeah. because they don't have the skill set. It's just because the market has become that competitive. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you get creative or how do you show your value, you know, in other ways, or how do you, how do you become known? Because there are more people who are interested in it. That being said, there are also more people who are in this role now than there were five years ago. Mm-hmm. So if I were a hiring manager now versus five years ago, five years ago, I would say, I want to hire someone from an agency because they know how to hustle. They know what ambiguity is like. They know how to have hard conversations with clients, you know, that could then turn into inside a company being product managers and engineers, right? Yeah. You know, they know how to run a budget and they just know how to do things very fast and effective. Mm. But fast forward now, if I were a hiring manager at one of these companies, I could say, well, you know, those are all amazing traits, but now there are people who, who are actually within product design organizations who can bring a skill set that wasn't there before and can bring a knowledge that wasn't there before. So what's going to make people stand out, you know, and how are people going to stand out? So I see that being a problem and I see, and I think that's why we had a panel last month with all of the head of design ops folks from all over the place, right? Netflix, LinkedIn, Facebook, 
you name it, like all of them. And the reason why we did that is because we wanted to make sure that people knew that just because they weren't necessarily in the field, they still had access to those folks and they still understood what they needed to do to get interviews and to get hired at these companies. Right. And hear it from literally the horse's mouth, the people who are actually (laughs) hiring for these roles. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that I'm, that I'm seeing happen, which is, it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's, it's what happens when an, and a role comes out, it becomes the hot new thing and everybody wants to be a part of it. But how, how do you make a, how, how do you become a part of it and how do you make an impact? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second thing is that, um, there, this role, this role was very, broad at first, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. Meredith Black did everything at first and now (laughs) program management and design operations can be divvied up, right? You can have somebody who's in design operations, who's solely focusing on the finance and the roadmap and the budget. And then you've got somebody else who's focused on education and development for the team while you've got two or three other people working, working on actual product teams, helping produce those projects. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Right. So I think the good news is, is there's a lot more roles opening up within design operations that are more specialized, right. That like, that you can, that you can get into. And especially if you're coming from different industries, if you have a L and D background from another industry, it might be easier to get in and get in this way. So I think that's, I think that's good. At the same time, it's becoming so specialized or these, all these specialties that it's not a one size fits all like design ops is not a one size fits all. You can't say, Oh, design ops. And everyone knows what that means. It's still really being (laughs) defined, right? Cause you've still got those small companies or not even those small companies, but those large companies who only have one or two design ops people who are doing everything and identifying what's most important for their team or what needs to be done. And operations might look very, very different. Yeah you know, and it might be defined very differently. So something to keep in mind as well. I think the last thing that I am noticing is, which is going to be really interesting to see this play out over the next few years is a lot of people who have been in this role for several years, they want to know what's next. And if you've reached the head of design ops role or the director of design ops role, great. But the type of person you're dealing with is a very ambitious Type A driven human being, right? I mean, that's the personality of a design ops person. And so you don't just stop and go, okay, that's it. I've hit my, I've hit my ceiling. You go, what's next? And so right now I'm seeing a lot of that. What's next. I'm seeing a lot of people in senior leadership roles who are hungry and who want something more. Yeah. And that could be, what do you do next? And is that, do you run a design team or do you aspire to become a chief, chief operating officer or do you go out and, you know, consult like what I'm doing? I thought that was like, for me personally, I thought that was a good transition. Um, just because I felt like I could make an impact at more companies by consulting versus just staying at one company. Um, also, I mean, there's like, what kind of lifestyle do you want? You know, yeah. like yeah. you've worked your butt off to get here. Now, now what? Like now, what do you want to do? So I think, I think that's going to become a very interesting topic over the next few years is where do these folks go and what do they aspire to do next? And what are the opportunities 
that are given to them. I, I mean, to be honest, I I feel like I could sit here for hours and just chat <laughs> about this. So, <laughs> but do. I think I think the time has come that we probably do need to send you off to the desert island. Um, so <laughs> before we do, Meredith, um, you get to choose one piece of music, one piece of literature, and one luxury item to take with you. So let's start with the piece of music. So piece of music, can I bring like a a can I bring an artist? Where there's multiple. Oh, 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 stretching, stretching the rules here. I mean, yeah, sure. Bring an entire discography, I'd say. Okay. So discography, I'd probably say Paul Simon. Oh, okay. Yep. I mean, you can't get sick of listening to Paul Simon. And if you do, something's wrong with you. Um, (laughs) What was the second one? Uh, It was a piece of literature. A piece of literature. I... um, I would probably say my favorite book is The Glass Castle. So okay. I would want to bring that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, no, I take that back. I would want to bring back, I would want to take an encyclopedia of crime. So, like if there was like a crime encyclopedia, I would want to take that. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, That's yeah, exactly no, that makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. And then, you could also then start your sort of own true crime podcast exactly. on the desert island to exactly. nobody, but still, it would. I think that'd be satisfying in itself. I think the lizards would, you know, hold their attention pretty. Oh, totally, pretty well, totally. You know? Yeah, I could get like a monkey in a tree to respond and <laughs> maybe pay attention to me. And um, then you get one luxury item as well to take with you to make your time a little bit easier on the island. A hot water tank. Yeah, hot water tank. I think that sounds pretty good, actually. It's yeah. um. I mean, I've had I've had a bed. I see at the beginning of this whole series, I was going to take my piano, but now I'm just thinking that's that is very frivolous. I want something <laughs> practical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to be practical with these things, right? <laughs> I mean, if anything, if anything's taught us over the past year, it's um, what really is a luxury item and what's high pry, right? Mm, mm, <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much to Meredith for joining us on Design Ops Island Discs. I'm sure the lizards are being kept in rapt suspense listening to her true crime podcast on the island. If you'd like to know more about Design Ops Assembly and join the community, you can head to the website at designopsassembly.com or have a look at some of the great books, podcasts, articles and talks that Meredith has done by heading to meredithblackbrandt.com and clicking on Design Ops Resource Library. This podcast is brought to you by Zero Height, the design systems documentation platform. You can jump in at any point and create your first style guide for free by heading over to zeroheight.com slash podcast. Make sure you add that last part in so that they know that we sent you. For the next episode, we more up and chat to Peter Merholtz, co-author of Org Design for Design Orgs, to talk about the challenges in how to structure your design org, both in and of itself, and how it works with the other parts of your organization. Until then, bon voyage. <laughs>